Welcome to the Love Good Podcast brought to you by our patrons, where you learn how to love what is good and become what you love. This is Jimmy Mitchell, your host. Join me each week as I sit down with artists and thought leaders to chat about media, culture, and the art of being human. We're more than a subscription company. Love Good is a movement of artists, patrons, and young people who believe in the power of beauty to change the world. And we're so pumped you're here. Hey, y'all. So maybe you're like me, and sometimes you don't always distinguish very well between what we might call essentials of life, the things that really matter, especially for happiness, and then preferences, which are far less essential, that I get really distracted by and weighed down by. Okay, so today's conversation is not only your introduction to Dr. Ryan Hanning, who's going to be a regular contributor on the podcast moving forward, it's also one of the best little conversations I've ever been a part of that really helped me put some language around distinguishing between essentials and preferences, and and actually that happiness is always connected to the essentials and never to the preferences, right? So not only is Ryan, you know, homesteading with a 10th kid on the way and, you know, basically a a real gentleman and a scholar. All right. This guy is everything I hope to be one day. And I'm not even exaggerating. He's, He's a hero in my life and also a very dear friend, but he also has an astute way of understanding the human experience, of putting language around the universal threads that that make us human. You might call him a philosopher. You might call him a theologian. At the end of the day, it's his taste in music, books, and art that probably most solidified his role now as a contributor on the podcast. But more than that, it's the way that he lives. It's the way that he inspires others to live. It's even the way he inspires me to live. So anyway, stay tuned. In just a few moments, I'll be back with Dr. Ryan Hanning. Very nice. I know you're always drifting away with the breeze But right here, right now, you're here with me Yeah, I know you're always dreaming about what it's like to be free But right here, right now, we can just be Oh yeah Oh, you got it. Okay. Well, Dr. Ryan Hanning, back in the Love Good Podcast studio. Welcome. Yeah, excited to be here. I honestly have been looking forward to this like all week. In fact, I have people like praying all over the world for it. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, I, I, so, you know, in some ways, sort of get nervous about these things. It's great, you know, when I have when I teach, <laughs> I have my like own platform, and there's like this great wall of, of sort of you know, intellectual property that you can sort of hide behind. That like it's my students, it's my time. But when you're doing something like this, it's much more you know timeless and open for everyone. So it's true. I get excited about it. Anxious is the wrong word. Anxious. Yeah. It has some like impending doom feel. <laughs> I think excited is the right word, but I, I always ask people to pray. So I got I got sisters praying in Poland for us right now. I got nice. I got people all over. Yeah. Well, and I'm just curious. Do you prefer structure or spontaneity? Where does your personality fall? Yeah, it's really so. I'm I'm highly sanguine. So spontaneity is like nice. is like my thing, but yes. I'm also phlegmatic. So it also <laughs> secretly irks me. And it's funny because like actually my my national background, my grandparents who 
who are big influence my life, primarily raised me. One side's Italian, one side's Austrian. So I got totally the sanguine and also the phlegmatic. Dang. So I can like fight with myself, which yeah. is great. That's really interesting. I mean, I'm probably primarily like Irish. Okay. I yeah. love people. I'm very sanguine. But then there's an inner German, like 25% okay. German that yeah. just like has to get stuff done. Yeah, your choleric. Needs order. Yeah. There's some serious yeah. choleric in there. <laughs> and then every now and then I'll just sort of like find my my inner Scotsman and get yeah. really angry and melancholic or just like ready for a fight, yeah. you know? But so, I try to keep that at bay. You know, yeah. Because you know, stereotypes are, are are really bad when they're used like against people. Yeah, <laughs> but they're a really good thing when they're an excuse for your own self-discovery. I know, I know, <laughs> so I know. It's, And the reality is both of us are really just trying to be English for the next that's, oh, 20, yeah. 25 minutes. Like oh. we're sitting down, Eagle and Child, pretending we're Tolkien and Lewis. That's right. And company. And so I'm just coming off of this incredible experience. I won't even call it a conference. It's called Hutchmoot, which happens annually here in Nashville. It's a gathering of writers and creatives and intellectuals and artists from all over the country who just so happen to be obsessed with Tolkien and Lewis and Chesterton and Flannery O'Connor and Wendell Berry. Some people like Wendell Berry that I've not even heard in much conversation apart from the ones that we've had. Yes. And so I found the whole thing fascinating and I thought, why is Dr. Hanning not keynoting this thing? <laughs> they just don't know you exist yet. But you're also just coming off of an incredible trip from Poland. Yeah. It's worth for a moment just letting people know that you've been on the podcast before. We're now kind of old friends. Yep. I mean, five, I six so. years later, yeah. I think I've, yeah, stayed in your homes. You've stayed in mine. We've been back and forth across the country yep. together at times, which is a huge privilege. But who is Dr. Ryan Hanning? <laughs> That's right. I'm still trying to figure that out. I should bring my wife. She can probably answer the question better. So, you know, right now for the moment, I'm a... Uh, you know, most importantly, uh, father of nine, soon to be 10. I was going to say, which is a 10th Which is amazing, which is, yeah. you know, I always joke it's keeping Social Security solvent. But the, <laughs> the truth is, we never, we never plan on having that. And, and really, the, the inspiration for it is more our, our own children's excitement and wonder with the gift of new life. Mm. It's like a constant reminder. So most importantly, father, yeah. father of nine, soon to be 10, and then husband of one and an amazing wife. And then I get to do this amazing thing where I, I sort of, I'm an itinerant teacher, which is weird. So I teach at several universities. I consult at universities, help them integrate classics programs and the big ideas, which works really good most of the time. And then I'm also trying to be a full-time homesteader, which is a weird <laughs> thing. So like, give you an example. So I literally come home after a nine-day trip in Poland. I was out there teaching. Amazing, beautiful country. Love being back there. Had the opportunity to go there for graduate studies at the Agalonian in Krakow. But I was out actually in Poznan, where I have some friends at, who I was out teaching and, and, and doing some great work with the Catholics Come Home and some initiatives they're doing out there to a country who you know is, is primarily faithful, but is just trying to, to, to walk through and navigate how to advance society in the modern world without losing its roots, right? And so we are there really trying to figure out and help them sort of think through that, which is cool. And then coming back and literally flying in and harvesting our, our hemp crop. We grow hemp for fiber and, and, and other purposes. So it's really interesting. Hemp is a crazy thing because like half people like know what it is and know it's not a bad thing, but it's it's, it's relative. <laughs> when you say hemp, I think of like, like a yarn-like material. Yeah, so you... hemp makes an amazing fiber. It's our number one fiber crop for years and years, ah. but it looks very similar to marijuana. It's in the same family. <laughs> so this it's the same genetic variation as like a grapefruit and a lemon, yeah. but you can't, morphologically, it looks exactly the same. Dang. So they outlawed it for good reason mm. because you couldn't tell whether that was the bad stuff or the good stuff. And of course, 
you know, I, I mean by the bad stuff, the, the illicit stuff that, <laughs> that has toxicological effects on you versus the good stuff, which is used for fiber and some other purposes too, for like treatment of epilepsy and fibromyalgia, which is how we got interested in it because of my, my niece who struggled with, with both of that up until her, her recent brain surgery, which has cured her, praise God. Wow. And actually the use of CBD oil and the pharmaceutical um, wow. approach that, that worked. But anyhow, so coming back, fly back from nine days in Poland, harvest hemp, hang it, build the dryers, and then get on a plane to go to Idaho to go talk about classical, <laughs> you know, classical education. As you do um, to a group of educators, yeah, and then come home and and realize that I I, I failed. Like our homestead's a museum of our failure. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's, it's a great way to 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 be kept humble. But essentially, I, I failed to shear the sheep in the appropriate time frame, and I should have gave them a second shearing mm. um, like about eight weeks ago. And so now they're really full, and it's still like seventy degrees outside. But it's getting cold, so I can't shear them right now. Because if I do, yeah. it'll be, winter will be upon us, and they'll, they'll really freeze. It's too late, yeah. Yeah, and so they just sort of they just sort of suffer my stupidity, uh-huh. which is probably an analogy for most of my family's life. But it's well, good. It's crazy though, because the only people I know shearing sheep live in South Dakota. You know, yeah. The only people I know even thinking about hemp are like hippies. You yep, know, yep. And quite frankly, the only people I know having. Nine and ten kids are, you know, Catholics and and Muslims and, mm-hmm. and maybe like the occasional like homeschooling Christian family who's just like into it. Yeah. You know? You don't fit into any boxes, is what I'm trying to say. The fact that you are a traveling itinerant teacher, also fairly unheard of. You consult with a lot of major organizations within the church and outside of the church. Mm-hmm. You've kind of always been this person. I think mm, I'll never quite be as smart as him, but I just want to be something like him. Like if I could just get a small portion of, of this man's spirit, right? Yeah. So that's the reason that you're not just coming on as a guest today. You're coming on as a contributor. We're going to be having you regularly on the podcast. Last season, we got into a pretty beautiful and intense, a little above my pay grade conversation about homesteading, leisure and, and homesteading specifically mm-hmm. and, and agriculture, right? It was one of our most listened to episodes specifically by like a handful of people that seemed to all be like 20 something year old males mm-hmm. who listened to it on repeat until they really felt <laughs> like they understood it, had appropriated it, yeah, right? I have a theory. It's because they discovered something I discovered, which is that, you know, something something about hands in the dirt is it's amazing. Like, it's like the easiest masculine battle you can have today in a real in a, in a real productive way yeah. that doesn't actually demand a whole lot of sacrifice other than your time. It's really a beautiful thing. It's the most, honestly, it's the most natural reciprocal relationship mm. that we've ever had as humans. It's mm. just proper relationships. So I think people just resonate towards that. Mm-hmm. And specifically, young men, this is my experience too, as a young man wanting to go and conquer the world, wanting to go up and, and be up against the world in a way that actually contributes yeah. my ability. And you know, I'm not smart enough to do that as a, as a scientist or as a doctor or as a lawyer, right? But I, but I am you know, decent at putting seeds in the ground and, mm. and praise God because of an amazing wife, she's really good at watering them. <laughs> and so- I was gonna say, that's my problem. The only gardens I've ever planted, I forgot to water. Yeah. So they've just died every time. But Tennessee's a lot easier. Man, being in Arizona, yeah. it, was, I, it was unsustainable the way that we do. We try to use a lot of, you know, tools that were used by the, you know, the First Nations people who lived there before us that, yeah. that really got down to the science. But out here, it's actually easy. Things actually grow. Yeah. Um, but we just forget to shear sheep. So but, Yeah, know, well, I, I can understand. And it's the fact that you've also got a lot going on. And not to mention, you know, nine, soon to be 10 kids. Yeah. So, yeah, if you could sort of capture a little bit of, you know, what gets you out of bed in the morning, apart mm-hmm. from the obvious 
I'm sure, loving duties, you know, as a husband and as a father. What do you find yourself up late at night, like thinking about, dreaming about? What is constantly keeping the creative and the intellectual juices flowing? Because the other thing about you, Ryan, is you're not just an academic, right? If you were, you'd probably be in an academic institution full-time all day, every day, mm-hmm. and probably quite satisfied in that. And maybe there's a party that would just love to be in Oxford Dawn anyways. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, I've been there before. <laughs> but there's more going on. Like we've yeah. always talked music. We've always talked culture. We've always talked, what are the the implications of these principles that we might call the art of being human? Mm-hmm. What implication do they have for the rest of society, for the rest yeah. of culture? What's the the relationship between the church and culture? What's the relationship between beauty and truth? Why do we know that they are in fact one and that their overflow is is goodness that you know people can't help but recognize right. and, and want for themselves? And that's my very long way of saying, <laughs> how did you arrive at this point in your life to care about these things? Yeah, I think for the most part, you know, the, the big question that's sort of, maybe it's, it's been a driving question most of my life. So my father recently passed away mm. um, in June, which is it was an amazing time, this really sort of introspective time. And, you know, his death was actually beautiful. It wasn't what he would have wanted in many ways, but, you know, I, I sat with him for three days while, while he was sort of, you know, entering the tomb, so to speak, and, and prayed with them and, and just, just rested with them. And it was great because he was... For for most part comatose, so I won every argument. It was awesome. <laughs> so and he had a great sense of humor. But it was an awesome time to really sort of think. You know, what are these major themes that have been handed on to me from my parents, and mm. specifically from my father? And I think a lot of it is trying to figure out what will satisfy my heart, and what are those things are more subjective or just because it's me, and which are those things that are objective. Mm. And if if I'm going to be honest about my life, then I better have a majority of the time spent on those objective things, those yeah. things that actually contribute not towards my taste and not towards my preferences, though those are important, but those aren't necessarily essential, right? Yeah. And so trying to sort of parse that out so that I can look at each of my children who are so different I mean, we have the entire spectrum of personalities. It's, it's, I mean, you've met them. That's you cool. know, it's, That's so uh, cool. it's an incredible thing. I'm trying to figure out, okay, what, what are those things that will satisfy the soul that are true for every human being? Yeah, yeah. And what are those things that are still good, beautiful, and true, but are particular to individuals because of environment, temperament, you know, all those things that contribute to one's personality. And so I think where I've been as trying to really ruminate on those things, and I have a great sort of a lab to do it in the context mm. of, nine homeschooled children, an amazing saintly wife and an environment where now I feel like, you know, now that we're sort of, you know, on the land a little bit, I mean, don't get me wrong, praise God for Costco. If we had to live <laughs> off the land, we would have died years ago. Um, you know, uh, I love, we were at this conference with Wendell Berry and, and Jason Craig asked a question and he said, you know, to Wendell, that was a great question about the difference between sort of authentic farming versus like Pinterest farming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think he coined a new new phrase where if like if you're farming for the purpose of taking pictures and telling your friends you know that's cool but it's probably not it's kitsch is it's what it kitsch. is yeah you know? it's sort of like a relationship that you're in that you're not really committed to yeah right it's kind of like it's so, so wendell berry i forget the exact comment but something along the lines of, of there's a way to cohabitate with your farm that never actually produces fruit mm. right and it's a beautiful analogy to actually diving in yeah versus trying to reap the benefits without actually sacrificing yourself mm. We'll be back in just a moment with Dr. Ryan Hamm. All right, everybody. So I'm really excited to announce that Lovegood, in partnership with Fraternus, is now putting on a very new kind of event called Reclaim Fatherhood. All right, many of you have been to our Fireside House concerts. You've heard me speak at different conferences and summer camps. Perhaps you've even been to one of our own big 
gatherings called the Glory Conference or Love Come Alive back in the day, music festival. We've done a lot through the years, but for the first time, we are doing events with Fraternus specifically for men, okay? So twice a month, I'm now on the road putting on three-hour retreats for men who are tired of living in a world of perpetual adolescence. And so much of what this retreat is about is inspiring men to live virtue, bringing them together in brotherhood, and then really casting vision and firing them up to be who every man is called to be, a father, right? And specifically, a spiritual father who passed on the faith to the next generation. And, you know, I think we can all agree that fatherlessness is one of the greatest wounds in our society. So the connection with love good is obvious that if we want to keep building a better culture, right? It's, it's not only about the music and the books and the art. It is also about being faithful to who we are as men and as women. And specifically this event called Reclaim Fatherhood is an amazing opportunity for for men to to come around that vision and then to be deeply inspired and empowered to live it, to live their masculine genius. So go to reclaimfatherhood.com to learn all about it. Given that Dr. Ryan Hanning is a father himself, it seemed like the perfect episode to bring this up, but we are actively booking events actually through all of 2020 right now. The first couple are happening in Phoenix, Arizona, and I believe Carmel, Indiana. Super exciting coming up in December, but I'm in the process of booking about 10 more all over the country this winter and probably another 15 more that'll be coming up in the spring and summertime. So go to reclaimfatherhood.com for all the details. So anyway, so I think you know, we're on that now. It's a beautiful time where I get to reflect on these questions. So what will satisfy the longings of my heart? And what are those longings are actually ontological, right? It's a fancy way of saying part of my being. Yeah. And what are just part of my idiosyncrasies? Mm-hmm. And how do I serve those in a way that I'll find fulfillment in a world that tells me my fulfillment will come from externals? Right. So, you know, so which I, you know, I, I learned at 16 years old, that's a lie. That's mm-hmm. just not the case. But that doesn't mean you refute the world. It doesn't mean that the world is bad. You know, nature's good. Nature's really good. And so how do you balance that? So mm-hmm. that's that I think that's what motivates me and I've been trying to think about. And most of what I do sort of operates around that. So when yeah. I talk, when I teach modern philosophy or I have some graduate students right now in a class on the philosophy of eudaimonia, the philosophy of happiness, and mm-hmm. this is the same question. What are those things that are just an essential part of human experience of how we're made? Yeah. Those things that contribute towards our being. And what are those things that are still important and necessary, but more secondary for you know, sure. Matter of taste. And helping people tap into the infinite desire right. that indicates, say, this is essential. Yeah. Right. This is a non-negotiable if I'm serious about happiness in this life and the next. And the reason I think that is so helpful is because out of that infinite desire that we know is satisfied by God, who is mm-hmm. infinite, who created us in his image, right? Out of that comes not even lesser desires per se, right? But the but the still deep into our being, as you might have just put it, ontological yeah. desires that convince you and your wife and your family to pick up from Phoenix and move to middle Tennessee, just, just north of downtown Nashville, Tennessee, you know? Yeah. And it's the kind of thing that keeps the love good boat afloat mm-hmm. most days because I'm convinced that this is part yeah. of a call and part of a deep desire that's meeting a very real need in the world. My question and my thought that I would love to dig into here for a few moments is what role does place Mm. play with desire? 
with discernment, right? I know that this is something that, you know, Wendell Berry yeah. talks about a lot. I've not read enough Wendell Berry to, to understand any of that firsthand. Mm-hmm. But I know that I've heard from you specifically that there's there's that vocational call. Yeah. Maybe you could even call it a, a, a missional call, mm-hmm. a, a sense of even within a vocation, a particular call, yeah. whether that's, you know, uh, a particular work or a particular sort of contribution to human history that you're supposed mm-hmm. to make. But the thing that nobody really talks about is the call to yeah. a place. And again, what, what role does desire play in all that? Because I've been in Nashville for 15 years and literally to this moment cannot imagine living anywhere else. Right. I can't actually understand that because there's plenty of other people, plenty of other desires, plenty of other opportunities that have come and gone. Yeah. But Nashville remains for me. Yeah, so I think, you know, and I, I have, I should say, I should preface this and every good professor will that I have not figured this out. <laughs> I'm still, I'm still, you know, thinking through this and pondering it and dreaming and and trying to figure it out. But I can tell you that the, the, the people I respect most when they talk about this, how they frame the question is about membership. Mm. So Wendell Berry has a beautiful series of fiction that really paints the picture of what he finds best in his own culture. And so he says these amazing things, you know, that that the membership of the place actually places responsibilities and limits, and that the limits don't actually impede your freedom, but the limits actually produce your freedom. Mm. And just like think about that for a minute. Yeah. That a membership, a commitment to a relationship, to an actual community, into an actual place. So he sees community not as only membership of individuals in the land, you know, in a particular geographical location, but he sees place as part of a cultural relationship both vertically with God and also, you know, down to the land. Mm. And so this then actually requires responsibility. So one of his first talks he gave, and it's amazing, you can see this theme throughout his life. One of the first talks he gave that that really brought him to prominence was about marriage with the good land. And, you know, he talked about unsettling of America, his, his novel that sort of was the first one to, to make him really an agrarian essayist of top notch and, and a really national treasure in America. You know, he talks about that the relationship with good land and relationship with place is actually like a marriage. It actually is all about responsibilities and limits. It's about membership, mm-hmm. that you actually fall into relationship with a place and that because of that relationship, you have particular commitments, seasonal commitments in terms of the weather, requirements placed upon you that mean that you can't, say, leave whenever you want, requirements placed upon you about when you can grow and when you can't that are very particular to a place. Mm-hmm. Well, so too in human relationships. You know, you're, you're placed in a certain you know, place and time where, where people are of either older or younger than you, right? People that are older, they're in a mentory relationship to you. People that are younger than you, you're supposed to sort of mentor them. And and all of that is, in, in some ways is about teaching them what it means to be a member of your place yeah. in both time, geographically, in relationship to God, to the land, to each other. And that theme, you can read Wendell Berry all the way through. And you know, it's interesting, C.S. Lewis has a very similar theme. J.R. Tolkien is a very similar theme. I mean, the entire Hobbit <laughs> narrative is about trying to explain what it would mean to, to leave a place, not in order to, to, to find freedom, but to learn so that you can better come back to it and serve it. Yeah. Right? That, that, that any leaving would be because, you know, there's a particular thing that needed to be learned or whatnot so that you can come back and serve. Newman experienced this. He went to Littlemore. He didn't flee the country, right? Yeah. He went three and a half miles south of Oxford. It's one of my favorite places in the world. I have these unique moments in my life where I have a, a profound experience that I'm immediately sad because my wife's not there to experience it with mm. me, right? And we just celebrated our anniversary and I text her because I, I was driving on our anniversary. I was literally driving down the Atlantic on a flight to go to Poland. And I'm like, yep, every song that played on the radio, every love song on the radio still made me think of you. You know, yeah. we, we still got it type thing, right? <laughs> so I, I wish, you know, but Littlemore was one of those places, you know, three and a half miles south of Oxford. Newman didn't leave the place of Oxford. 
he retreated for the mm. purpose of self-discovery so that his relationship with the place could be more fruitful. Mm. And that's a limit, right? You, you can't just up and necessarily leave. You gotta, you gotta find what, what, those, what that membership is and what, what the responsibility is. And so it sounds ironic for a person who just left Phoenix to say that, right? Who's, who's, who had to go 2,000 miles away from his home to find himself. But really part of coming here is because we felt there's an intact culture that was an actual place yeah. that we can actually be members of. Yeah. So this Saturday, 30 of us met at the hardware store and all the meat that we ate, all the veggies that we ate, it was a big potluck. Everything was from like a mile within our mm -hmm. home. And this is not to take pictures. This is not to, to have a form or a blog. This was really because we all have a commitment to that place and mm -hmm. we have a commitment to one another and that commitment places limits. So one of the limits we have on ourselves is that, you know, the way that we're going to produce food and stuff is not going to negatively affect other people around us. So like, you know, we had a massive bee die off of one of the guys who's growing bees. And so the question was, hey, someone spraying new pesticides or something, uh, you know, locally in our area because all my bees died off. Mm. And then we found out they're hybridized probably because they got them too far south. Anyways, but together that sense of place then actually starts to cultivate exactly that question I began with. Yeah. What are those aspects of what will fulfill my heart that are objective, that mm. are true for every human being? And what are those things that are just preference and taste? Both are important. Yeah. But there's a proper relationship between the two. And preferences, you know, I have found can be a bit enslaving at times. Mm -hmm. You know, like there's a danger, for example, in living alone, right? right? Or, you know, you see this sometimes in later in life couples who get divorced and mm -hmm. then never are, you know, living in community or in the context of a family or a right. home ever again. Anybody like me who's like, you know, pushing their mid thirties and is single, like these preferences can be very dangerous in that they turn us in on ourselves. Whereas right. these, these deeper threads that you would call, you know, desires connected to the infinite, right? Yeah. Are in fact the things that root us as much as they move us forward, as much as they keep us firmly planted in reality mm -hmm. while constantly chasing after a deeper human experience, right? Yeah. So that's cool. I, I do wonder, and we'll have to close with this thought. I wonder what it looks like for the millions of people, mm -hmm. probably you know hundreds of millions of people who have a desire for everything you've just described, maybe are completely intimidated by the idea of living on the land or even cultivating, like in my case, the quarter acre lot behind mm -hmm. my house, right? What does it look like within a city? Is this even possible within, I dare say, a suburb, mm -hmm. you know? And what's the hope for, for those who, you know, are living in apartments, who are living on college campuses, who just don't quite have the opportunity to get their hands dirty and feel like they belong to a place in a way that could affect the next 20 years right. of their life. Yeah, I mean, so I was really challenged by Wendell Berry in a series of letters that we wrote back and forth to each other that were, that, you know, it's, I, afterwards I sort of wrote a, I wrote a poem called Never Talk to Your, to your Hero, right? Because if you do, they'll, they'll, they'll probably tell you what you need to hear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you might not be ready to hear it. And I think, you know, his, his big point was that if, if, you, if you have a sickness that you're trying to deal with, and you go to the land, that land is not a curative for the sickness. You're just gonna bring your sickness with you. Mm -hmm. Your sickness is about you. It's mm -hmm. not caused necessarily by the place you're in. You gotta, you gotta sort of figure this out a little bit. Again, going back to that membership in the community. And so for us, that was really instructive. So we spent two years just trying to figure out, hey, what are these things that, where have I placed preference above objective needs, mm. right? Where have I let my taste for things somehow impede my desire for the transcendent, right? Crazy, Like yeah. in other words, like Newman says it, right? No man will die for an opinion, but they'll die for a dogma, right? Let's just get these essentials and secondary things sort of in balance, right? Yeah. And so I guess this is a long way to answer that, you know, I was really challenged because I was a 
told essentially by another friend, uh, Dr. Jared Stout. He goes, but Augustine calls it city of God, right? He, yeah. he describes heaven as a city, as a well-ordered city. He doesn't call it the farm of God, right? And so that, so I think you can have this in the city. You can have it in the suburb. You can have it out on the land as long as two things are in place. One that you've properly discerned along with your vocation. So your vocation is about who you are and who God has called you to be. And it's primarily about how you can contribute a gift of yourself in service to your place. Mm. That's 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 the real sort of, you know, this joy of self-discovery is finding out, okay, who am I? Who has God made me to be? And how can I make a, a gift of self and contribution to, 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 to the place that I've been given? And so a lot of this is discerning that. So that'd be the first thing. And, and maybe that is, is vocation then says, okay, my vocation, the place is in the city. Yeah. Think about how many good, amazing men and women came out of the city, amazing saints that we have, mm. that it was city life. They didn't leave the city, mm. right? Like even, even Benedict, you know, he didn't necessarily leave the city. I mean, as a, as a monastic, he actually built within the city, right? Mm. On the suburbs in some ways, right? To be in reference to the city. So it's not necessarily a, a retreat. So I think you can do it everywhere as long as you discern what's my vocation. Uh, it has to be part of that discernment. And the second thing then is to be willing to take the steps to as prudently as possible enter into that. Mm, so those amazing. are the two things, right? It's, it's knowing yourself <laughs> and being able to have the courage and humility, which is the virtue of living in the truth, to take those steps. And so if you're living in the city, that means, hey, if my vocation, I've prayed about it, I'm called to live in the city. Mm. That's where I'm called to be. All right, well, then how can I responsibly live within the city? I how can it. I be in right relationship with God, with each other, with the land? Maybe it means I recycle more. Maybe that means I buy local. I don't know. It's up to each individual to sort of figure out and decide. There's a way to do it, though. You've been a year without plastic. A year and a I half mean, now. That's I'm, amazing. This went to Poland with me, man. <laughs> People looked at me like I was crazy. I was like filling up in the airport, you know? It's awesome. Yeah, so like, I mean, I think there are little things that, that you know, are, are honest, you know, ecological considerations, but, yeah. but they go past that. Yeah. The, how you treat people, the relationships that's you right. have. You know, as we left Phoenix, we had to really discern what, what relationships are we leaving behind? What, mm-hmm. what commitments do we have to family, to friends? And really, you know, really think through that. Mm-hmm. And it was beautiful. We felt in some ways, you know, we, we spent our last day with Bishop Olmsted, who's a true spiritual father to us. And, and, you know, we sat with them right before we left. And you know, I said, you know, Bishop, I really feel like we're not running away from anything. I feel if I left two years ago, it would have been running away. Yeah. But right now I feel like I'm being compelled to somewhere. I'm being, yeah. I'm being pulled. And that's part of that discernment. And I know people who do that in the city beautifully. Yeah. I know people who do that in the suburbs. Amazing. I was with a guy in Berlin literally five days ago, right? And I was there in this apartment in the city where he brings together a group of 20 young men mm. every Tuesday where they just talk about these big questions and just have really good food. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. Right in the middle of Berlin. Do you know that happens every Tuesday night here in Nashville? See, it's a movement of the Holy like Spirit. Like just above us? It's, so same in thing <laughs> in Berlin, the most secular city <laughs> crazy. In, you know, in the Western world. Yeah. But he's figured out a way to do it in the city. That's amazing. It reminds me of Jan Ternowski. He okay. used to do this with all these young Polish intellectuals, one of yeah. whom just happened to be Karol Wojtyla, yep. right? Yeah. So this is really he's cool. He's now venerable, by the way. Venerable. Yeah, he's just, I he's knew there was a movement. His cause. Yeah, yeah, That's exciting. So, yeah. so this is great. And thinking about membership and belonging and the responsibilities that go along with that, are huge and in no small way, we recognize that, especially those of you who are patrons, right? But even those of you who are just listening to the podcast, who are coming alongside Love Good and our great dream of building a better culture, you very much belong and we are very much a part of a community. And it's it's sort of bigger than geography. Right. You know, it is a it is a spirit and a and a desire and a vision for 
a world that is true and that is good and that is beautiful and that actually brings out the best, not only in ourselves, but in our families and all those that we interact with along the way. So I'm excited, Ryan, as the next several months unfold, we'll be bringing you in probably once every four to six weeks. Hope so. Uh, And these conversations are probably just going to keep getting richer and deeper along the way. So uh, thanks for being a part of this journey. Oh, it's an absolute joy. I'm still figuring this out. (laughs) I'm looking forward to figuring it out together. Welcome to the club. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yep, so we'll see you probably in about a month. Awesome. Praise God. Thank you. Peace. You're listening to one of our brand new tracks on the Firesides Sessions mixtape, available exclusively at lovegoodculture.com slash free. I hope you guys have really enjoyed this first of many episodes to come with Dr. Ryan Hanning. And I hope also that you, like me, can get inspired by big, beautiful families. You know, it sounds like a really simple thing, you know, but gosh, there's nothing that more inspires a healthy, beautiful, authentic culture than a good big family. You know, like it is such a rare thing. You know, a hundred years ago in America, the average family had seven kids, right? We might look in at the Hannings or any other big family that we meet and think, gosh, that's, that's crazy, right? To have that many kids in today's world. But my goodness, what could do more? to build culture than to build families. So anyways, I'm super inspired by Ryan. Cannot wait to bring him back in about a month. Just know that next week, we're sitting down with another one of our artists, Stephen Day. All right, this guy's been on tour with Scott Mulvihill. He's exploding as an independent artist right now. And we're very excited to announce next week what part he's going to be playing in our upcoming winter package to patrons as well. So tune back in as always. We love you guys. Hope you have an amazing rest of your week. And we'll see you soon. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to the Love Good Podcast. Tell your friends all about us. Follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and join our movement today by subscribing as a patron at joinlovegood.com. Start enjoying our exclusive content and seasonal packages that will raise your standard for music, books, and art and inspire you to build a better culture. We can't wait to accompany you as you change the world.